0: Hello and welcome to another ATP podcast at the end of the Mutua Madrid Open, the fourth Masters 1000 of the year. We've had shocks, we've had unbelievable stories, but at the end of two weeks in the Spanish capital, Carlos Alcaraz has done it again. The examination
1: has been a stern one today, but Alcaraz has worked his way to championship point. Carlos Alcaraz defends his title in the Spanish capital. Jan Lenardstruff threw everything at the 20-year-old inside the magic box, but ultimately Alcaraz had all the answers. It's a fourth Masters 1000 title of his career. He moves to within touching distance once again of the top spot in the world rankings. He prevails in Madrid in 2024, 6-3 in the decider.
0: Carlos, huge congratulations. It was the toughest of tests, wasn't it? But you are still the champion of
2: Madrid. Tell us how special that is. Well, for me, it's so, so special, you know, lift the trophy here in Madrid, uh, in my country, in Spain, it's always special to play, you know, and uh, yeah, be able to uh, to do a good result here, to uh, be the champion here, is so, so special, you know, in front of my home crowd, in front, uh, in front of my family, my friends, uh, everyone close to me. So for me, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a special thing that I will never I will never forget. Jan brought such a strong
0: game, such an aggressive game. We didn't really see the drop shot much because of that. When you lost the second set, what are you telling yourself sitting down? What needed to change?
2: Well, uh, yeah, it has been a really tough one. You know, Jan is playing great, uh, great shots, you know, but really, really aggressive. Uh, Yeah, sometimes I couldn't play my my game, just uh, uh, waiting for for my chances. And uh, yeah, in the second set, I I had a lot of chances to to break his serve. And yeah, I, I... I didn't take it, so it, it, it was tough for me, you know, to, to lose uh, the second set, but uh, I I told myself that I have to be positive all the time, you know, I, I was going to, to have my chances and try to, to take it, you know, and uh, I think I, I did in the in the third set. And the Caja Magica,
0: a special place for you now, you're starting to build something here. The crowd, your people, they bring pressure, they bring expectation, but how much did they help you today?
2: Well, uh, once again, uh, it's been amazing. You know, uh, the crowd, my, my people here. You know, since the the, the first day, I'm here in the final. Since the, the first ball was cheering my uh, my name, you know, was uh, cheering cheering mine. So it, it, it was it was really helpful for, for me. And uh, as I said uh, a lot of times, uh, it's really really uh, not You know, to have a, a lot of people behind you supporting you and uh, trying to push you up, you know, in the, the bad moments. And once once again, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been amazing. Well done, Carlos. Thank you very much.
0: So congratulations to Carlos Alcaraz on defending his title here in Madrid to claim, already at 20, a fourth Masters 1000 title and also a fourth title already this year. Congratulations also to Andrew Rublev and Karen Hachinov on taking the doubles title here for a first career doubles title together. Lots of talking points to mull over here in Madrid, and to do that, I was joined a little earlier by tennis journalist and broadcaster for Dutch Channel, Ziggo Sports and Eurosport, David Ovakian. David, first of all, great great to have you on the podcast, so thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, Have you enjoyed the Madrid Open this year? And in general, how would you kind of compare Madrid with the other masters? Because you do them all, you're the hardest working man in tennis. (laughs) Well,
3: I wouldn't say that, but I've enjoyed it a lot, actually. Um, If we look at the matches, I was thinking, is it magical since the place is called Caja Magica? And and actually, yes, there's been so many good matches. And in general, I think the level here in Madrid of the matches is very high. Maybe it's the altitude that we're probably going to get into. I don't know what it is, but they play very well here. And I really enjoyed combined with Rome, the contrast there. It's a little bit like Indian Wells, Miami. So, yeah, I I enjoyed very much and as a duo with Rome specifically. And... I'm always fascinated by the way you you,
0: you operate and you do your job. Because we're, we're similar in that we both interview the players, mainly after the matches, but also at the start of the tournament. But you, I say you're the hardest-working man in tennis because you, you're on your own. You've got no camera operator. You've got a camera yourself asking the questions. And that can be pretty perilous at times, can't it?
3: Yes. I mean, every now and then it doesn't work out quite as <laughs> like the way I wanted it to work out. But, I mean, I think... And I'm pretty okay. Pretty okay. Works out most of the time. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's stressful sometimes, but it works. It works. I'll make it work. Favourite player to interview? That's a good question, actually, because, for example, I really enjoy talking to, to Carlos Alcaraz, not because he says so much, but just his appearance on camera, like the smile and uh, his charisma. But then a favourite player to talk to, I think, maybe Stefanos, because you never know what's going to happen. He can be kind of down, then he can just go out of his way to make a show out of it. So I'd say those two, maybe, yeah. And he's taken on a whole new role for you, hasn't he, Stefanos, you were telling me. Tell yes, us about that. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've chosen Stefanos as my, as my player to kind of set the scene at the beginning of every event on media day. So, Stefanos, we're in Miami here, or we're in Madrid. Kind of, what does the viewer need to know about this event? And then he, he makes something, something up. Here, what did he say? Well, here I asked him actually to to tell me what the difference is to him between Barcelona and Madrid, because he just came from there. And he thought about it and he said, yeah, there's no sea here. Um, I mean, Stefanos, you know, what can you say? <laughs> In the middle of Spain. Yeah,
0: well, you know, he's not wrong. No. Um, let's pick up on some of the themes here. Stefanos made the quarterfinals. Um, well, let's start with Carlos Alcaraz. Is Carlos at the stage now where he's... Starting to beat players in the locker room before the match.
3: You gotta think so. No, especially here. It's it's pretty special to play him, I think, here in the on center court on Manolo Santana because of um the crowd, because of the way he feels. So I think that's definitely the case here. Maybe less so in other places, but I think he's definitely getting to that stage. The choices, the options that he has, I mean he, he he does serve and volley whenever he wants to and it doesn't work. How many times does he try it again on the next point? He can stay back, he can he can hit that forehand the way he hits it and then he can hit the drop shot. It's like you never know what's going to happen and everything can happen at any point.
0: Is there an asterisk a little bit by everything that's happening at the moment? Simply with the
3: fact that not so
0: much Rafa but Novak isn't here.
3: Yes, for sure. It's, it's the thing I've been longing for, that... The Novak Alcaraz clash at a Slam, sure, that'd be great. But anywhere at this point, because it's just not happening. I mean, it happened here last year, of course. But even then, it was kind of Novak was just coming back. It wasn't really like a, a full strength Novak against a full strength Alcaraz. So please, as soon as possible.
0: Fairy tale. Let's talk about the fairy tale here in Madrid. Well, Aslan Karatsev had a great run. <laughs> yeah. Um, but not not as good as Jan Leonard Struff. I incredible. mean, incredible. I mean, how did he do it? You you actually spoke with him, didn't you? About yeah. how, why this is happening at 33. What
3: did he say? Yeah, he went on to explain uh, that he wasn't kind of an early riser the way Carlos is. He says that I wasn't that good. That's it. When I was younger, um, and I've been putting my game together over the years, and I think now it's kind of it's kind of getting there. Of course, he was ranked higher than he was at the beginning of this year in years past. 2019 is a year that he keeps pointing to as. As a, as a great year for him. Uh, but then he dropped in the rankings again. I think at the beginning of this year, he was 150 in the rankings. So yeah, it's just a very careful um, way of, of building a career, I suppose. He's 33. It feels like he's been around forever. And yeah, I think with his game, it's, it's very interesting. I find it very hard to compare his way of playing to anyone else, actually. I don't know what you think about that. The, the way that he plays
0: well he's a, he's a serve volleyer which I love I think yeah. more of the I, I like watching Maxime Cressy believe it or not simply because he serve volleys and there's actually very little variety in the game now it seems and I like watching a guy who's just p- puts his tactics on the line yeah. like that and actually creates a target it takes it's actually time quite away. refreshing yeah
3: yeah yeah for sure for sure I mean we saw what he did against uh, Titipas just with these returns stepping in and, and taking time away from the opponent on clay. don't forget that
0: a, a word about andre Rublev and Karen Hachanov, who I know you know quite well, for, yeah. and you'll tell me why that is. But they won the doubles here, and, and that in itself is a pretty remarkable thing. It's their first tour-level doubles win together, which is a lovely story. And, um, you know, they've been playing together, I think, since 2014, back to juniors. Um, I think even earlier. Yeah, Karen yeah. in particular, um, who's had a real rebirth this year as well. You know, he was his ranking really fell, and now... He's come back. What has he told you about how that's kind of come to fruition?
3: Well, actually, every time someone mentions that, where is this level coming from, he always points out that the level's always been there. I mean, I've won a Masters event. When was it? Like five years ago in 2018, Paris, Bercy. And I've had great results always. It's just that now with consecutive semifinals at Grand Slams and what he did in Miami, being very close to beating Medvedev there, um, it's just like, yeah, I feel great I've been able to keep up the level he doesn't have a particular reason I believe I just think he knows that he's always had it and maybe it's also fitness maybe it's also just having the belief that after all these years I can hang with these guys because you look at him I mean he's Physically, He's such an imposing
0: player. But he also seems to have a lot of options in terms of his shots. You kind of think that, you know, I, th- I don't think he's made a final since when he won Paris, which is incredible, yeah. really.
3: And he had that streak against top-ten players, a long one. I think 20 matches in a row that he lost. I mean, that's over now. He figured that out. Um, yeah, he's a, he has everything. Big serve. I love his backhand in particular. The forehand is, is a very elaborate shot, of course. And, and normally you would say... If you have such a preparation, you can get into trouble. But he makes it work beautifully on all courts. Yeah.
0: Of the other top players, if we call them that, um, what did you make of Sasha Zverev? Because, I mean, he was well beaten by Carlos Alcaraz. Wow, I mean, that was a, a very, yeah. very good performance by Carlos Alcaraz. But Sasha said to me in the lead-up to the tournament that sometimes he feels like he's almost back to his best, and then the next match he, he, he feels a long way from it. How are you reading Zverev at the moment?
3: Exactly that way, actually. Sometimes I think, yeah, this is the old level. Then suddenly it's nowhere to be found. Um, I, I can tell you from experience. Well, actually I can, but on a, on a very, very modest level. But I don't know. Yeah. Is it the way he's playing? I, I always feel like he's, he's he chooses to play a bit defensively more than you would expect from someone of his size and with his weapons. Maybe it's that he, he hasn't quite figured out how he wants to play and I guess if you're doubting whether you're uh, whether you are at your your highest level that's even more the case Matt every match is different I don't know I I think he's just not sure as to what he wants I'm pretty sure he's going to get back to his best before too long
0: um and the other player who is a real an enigma at the moment is Kasparud who is what is he ranked at the moment four in the world and yeah he can't win a match he can't put two wins together. It seems very strange.
3: I mean, I guess for that we have to go back to the preparation for the season. I think he's admitted as much that not having a proper off-season, but instead going with Rafa on that unforgettable tour, I'm sure. I talked to him actually um, for Tennis Magazine in Indian Wells, and he was saying what an unforgettable experience that was, that he felt like a rock star playing in front of so many people, especially in Mexico um uh, but he also admitted that maybe as as much fun and as important as that was maybe it wasn't quite the ideal situation um preparation wise for Australian Open and the rest of the of the events and i think that's showing a little bit i do think that he's had that off season now at a later stage during the season um so one would think that he's going to going to get back to his old level
0: do you think there's a little bit of second season syndrome as well there? I mean, yes. obviously he broke through well before last year, but in terms of a real, truly huge year, you know, the finals that he, he lost, you know, also mentally, uh, are players kind of figuring out how to play him a bit, do you think?
3: Yeah. I mean, he's not a player who's, who's like a mystery, as, as much versatility and as much unexpected things as, as Carlos has in his game. I think with, with Cosper, you can you can plot your... Your, your, your match game, your style, your, your, your tactics, um, so yeah, that might be the case, that actually players are kind of getting to know Cosper and are maybe even thinking if he can do it, we can do it. We have to talk about Zhang Zhizhen
0: and the breakthrough, I think all the Chinese media are clamoring for a Wu Yibing success, yeah.
3: <laughs> but Zhang, I mean, wow, where did this come from? He didn't even know himself. He's a bit older. That's why you're saying that he's kind of. Everyone's looking to Wu Yibing, and, and Zhang Zhizhen has been out there for a bit longer. I mean, where did it come from? I mean, he's also the first top 100 player on the men's side of, among the Chinese players. So maybe it's, it's in a way normal that he's the one who, who did what he did here in Madrid, which is reaching the quarters after beating Chapo, uh, Nori, and Fritz. With all these three-set tiebreakers, incredible, incredible matches, and and the crowd here was going nuts for him. Not to forget, they were even chanting in Chinese in support of of Zhang Jike. I mean, where did it come from? Was it was it unexpected? Expected? I, He's got a pretty big game. He moved so well on clay as but well. But he wasn't expecting to
0: be any good on clay. But as you say, his game just seemed to convert to clay actually yeah, very well. seamlessly.
3: Well, yeah. No, I agree fully. And. And just the, kind of the, the way he plays and, and the way he looks, he's kind of a cool-looking guy with the, with, the, with the ponytail a little bit. Um, and he's a real match player. He kind of embraces uh, the, the big moments and the tense moments. We were talking about fantasizing about a potential final, maybe, Alcaraz Zhang Zhizhen, like a week ago, and how big that would be for China uh, and how many viewers that would be. And I think we can kind of compare it to what happened with the the women, with Nali back in the day when she did what she did, reaching number two in the world, winning Grand Slam tournaments. That was huge. And there was a whole group of players that came behind her. And imagine if one of the Chinese men does that, how many will follow? As everything is with China, it it will be huge. (laughs) It would
0: indeed. Just finally, David, electronic line calling. Um, ATP tour recently announced that it's going to come in. I think c- across everything from 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a logical step, isn't it? And it seems like a good thing. Or where are you on this?
3: I actually like line judges. I I like every opportunity that you can get to create drama on court. I I would take it. So unfortunately, when you take away line judges, you can't see an argument with a player and a line judge and an umpire. I, I quite enjoy it. It's good television.
0: Yeah, but we all talk about tennis taking too long. I mean, it's going to make it quicker, surely. Sure. And yeah. it takes away error. Is that not a good thing?
3: Like, in, for the fairness of it all, and there's so much money involved and stuff, I understand. I understand. But pure, purely as a television viewer, like the, we've had so, so many funny incidents. Um, but I understand. I'm just, yeah.
0: And on this, what, you must talk to
3: the other journalists. What, what
0: is the general kind of mood, consensus on electronic line calling among the other journalists. I think most journalists are are for electronic.
3: I feel like I'm on an island a little bit there.
0: You're old school. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Um, (laughs) Just finally, you're on to Rome. I mentioned you're the hardest working man in tennis. Where Novak Djokovic, we think, will will be there.
3: Is he the favourite? Isn't he always? I don't know. The fact that we haven't had the Alcaraz-Novak rivalry quite bloom yet. My position is always Novak until otherwise proven. Let's put it that way.
0: David, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
3: You're listening to the ATP Tennis
1: Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and atptour.com.
0: So attention now turns to Rome and the Internazionale Biennale d'Italia. And one player looking to hit the ground running, having missed out on Madrid with illness, is one of the home favourites, Yannick Sinner. Since reaching the Rome quarter-finals last year, Sinner has been joined in the top 20 by fellow Italian Lorenzo Musetti. And the pair faced each other recently in Monte Carlo, where Sinner came out on top. But what would happen if they had to face off on home soil in Rome? Ursinho Caderas asked the question.
4: It's always tough to play against a friend, no? You play against him, but you make Davis Cup together, you know him very well, so it's... uh... It's tough for both of us every time when we have to play against. And uh, I feel like he is improving a lot. He is a very nice person, and um, he's just trying, trying his best on court as as I do. And um, you know, it's it's it, it's always nice to to see uh, where the level is. And I have the feeling that every time when I play against him, I can see that. Where I still have to improve, and hopefully I can give him the same thing, the same feeling. Okay, I have to improve there and there, and then trying, you know, to push each other a little bit up. Um, and yeah, I think generally it's 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 nice to see him playing very very high level, and I wish him all the best. So you you compare yourself to him because he's from the same country and a similar age. Yeah, I mean for sure, I I, I try to compare myself with. Uh, First of all, with the best players in the world, because the, and that's where I want to stay. No? Uh, and That's where I, where I want to reach uh, the level. Um, obviously, I feel like he has a little bit different kind of game, because uh, he is very, very talented, he can do whatever he wants with the ball. Um, so it is a little bit different, but for sure, uh, if I see that he has something better than me, I, I try to get it, trying to work on, on it on the practice sessions and then to see how I can handle it also in the in the matches, most likely what I'm going to do also with, uh, with all the other players who I play against.
5: When you see him beat Novak Djokovic, is your thinking process, well I can do this if he can do this?
4: Yeah, I mean, for sure, um, I always feel like that there are players on tour where some players struggle a little bit more I have my my kind of players I have my four or five players where I say okay it's I can beat them and um, but in the other way it is a little bit different because you feel like okay they have the game where it hurts me mm-hmm. um, but yeah for sure if uh, he, he he played an incredible match that day uh, I have also the feeling when you beat one of the best players in the world, the day after you still have to go on court, you have to be very prepared. And that's not easy. And I was there in the situation that would, what he had in Monaco. And, uh, and I just tried you know, to stay on my game, trying to stay on my rhythm. And, uh, and I took advantage of that, no? for sure. But uh, I was fresh, he finished very late. The conditions were completely different. He was playing basically with with the rain and heavy court. And then, uh, the next day was very fast uh, with the sun. The ball was bouncing high, so it was different. So I took advantage of that. So
5: who's someone you don't like playing?
4: Don't play, uh, don't like playing, no. But I take it as a very very big challenge, and that's why I practice for also uh, Medvedev head to head, far back, but. Uh, these are challenges where I I go out of the court when I lose. I try to prepare in the best possible, uh, best possible way already for the next matchup, seeing what I what I can do. And uh, for sure, him it was also Bedene was a tough one for me. For example. Um, uh, I have some. I have also Jara, for example. I don't know. There are these are the kind of players. who I don't know. They have something. What? It's tough to tough to handle. Even if I know if I that I can win. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just my feeling, maybe. Interesting. It's, so it's not just top players. No, no. It, it can be any player. No. Yeah. It's, uh, it, I, it, it doesn't have to be top five in the world. It's just that. For example, I, I feel like uh, some players, they struggle a lot with the big, big servers, you know, like John and, 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 and Rayleigh and Kevin Anderson back in the days. And, you know, it's uh, uh, where for me, example, I feel quite OK to play against them. I have a little bit my prob- problems, but this is a sport to problem solve. No? So it's happy to be in the position to have another chance trying to improve.
0: Some unexpected names there perhaps amongst Yannick Sinner's trickiest opponents. And one player he didn't mention was another friend, Matteo Berrettini. Why? Because the two have never met on tour. So is that something that the more senior statesman Berrettini would like to change?
5: We have some years. uh, I'm a little bit older, but I feel like in a way he's going like so fast and that I don't consider him like, like... someone younger than me you know like he's mm-hmm. a- achieved so much already that um, yeah I, I think in general our relationship is great uh, we text each other we practice together when we had the chance we play doubles together so we, it's really like a healthy relationship in the sport like we Help each other to, I think, to to raise, you know, like our le- level in general. I think thanks to him, I improve also my game. So I think it's really something healthy and it's something that uh, we need, you know, in order to get better in general. And that's why it would be even even better like to play against each other. And it's interesting because you're you're you know from the get go such different people. Like he's a mountain guy, <laughs> yeah. you're a big city guy very very different right to yeah. if, if you just look look at it on paper yeah yeah different different probably families everything you know like also italy like all the countries i guess you know like it depends where you're coming from from the north the middle like on the center or the south it's completely different the culture and everything but uh we share so many you know Moral values and important stuff that are really important as Italians, but as in general, like as a human being. So um, I really like Yannick as a guy. Uh, he's a really nice guy. Um, we had some dinners together. You know, like we also have fun. Yeah. And yeah, I think it in general we're both lucky to have each other. You know, on tour because it helps. Like you know, like when you have Italians, just uh, just easier. You know, like to hang out and stuff. You know. Yeah.
0: As it did in Madrid, the doubles will also feature prominently in Rome and for one pair in particular, the event will bring back the fondest of memories. Twelve months ago, Brit Lloyd Glasspool and Finn Harry Heliovara had missed out on a place in the draw when Lloyd was told that a withdrawal had given them a last-minute place. The only problem was that it was late in Finland and he couldn't get through to his partner, which is where Harry picks up the story as they told it to Richard Connolly.
6: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was very late Tuesday night when I, when Lloyd tried to call me, but I was obviously asleep. It was past midnight in Finland, but I don't know how many times he called me. My baby actually turned one year old almost the same day and and she woke me up crying and then I checked my phone. I see 20 calls and I'm, oh, something must have happened. So I, I just have to thank that we had a baby who woke me up and then,
1: things started to get better and just five hours later I was on the plane to Rome. You were on the plane to Rome and I'm sure getting to the airport was easy for you but for Lloyd it wasn't so easy for you was
7: it? Not so easy, no I, uh, I thought it was gonna be easy, I had everything booked and then I missed the alarm so I remember calling Harry saying my flight takes off in you know an hour and 15 minutes it takes me at least 45 minutes to get there what do you want me to do? And he sat on his plane at this point. So he's like, you might as well try because I'm going to Rome. So I just grabbed hand luggage, two rackets and shoes and jumped on the plane and managed to get there.
1: I'm going to jump in with some more details. You ended up arriving in Rome with the limited kit and reaching the quarterfinals. You beat the number one pair in the world at the time, Ram and Salisbury, that very day, Harry, didn't you? I mean, were you, was it fair to say in a dishevelled state, the two of you, that day. I mean, you weren't well prepared, were you? No, but that was also,
6: as much as it can be, a zero-pressure situation. We just went there, did our best, enjoyed the moment, and all of a sudden we won, won the first round and even the second round. Like, if you, can, I mean, it's a it's, it's, it's very, very strange story, but it's also a dream, maybe a kickstart to this good year.
1: Well, at that time, I think, Lloyd, you were ranked around 70 in the world and Harry around 50, something like that. Five, follow, five finals followed in the rest of the year. You won Hamburg. How much of a, a kickstart was that Rome event, Lloyd? Because I don't think you've been alternates again since, have you?
7: No, not once. We've been in everything. Yeah, so... <laughs>
1: How much of a difference did it make?
7: I think a big difference, and especially difference to our confidence, because we hadn't had the uh, chance to be in any Masters or the super big events together. And then the second we got that opportunity, we proved that we could be the world's best and we belong there. And I think you just gave us the confidence that when we get the chance again, we can really capitalise on it.
1: And you made quarterfinals of Roland Garros just after that. You made quarterfinals of US Open as well. So it, it happened. It's been a dramatic journey since then, hasn't it?
6: Oh yeah, I, mean, I was just talking to my wife and my coach, I was playing Challengers and all of a sudden we're here playing the, the biggest tournament of the year. It, the jump has been huge, but,
1: but it just shows we've done a lot of right things. I have more questions about what happened in Rome. Who made the call to you, Lloyd, to tell you that you had the chance to get into the tournament? Because that person, you owe them a lot, don't you?
7: Sure, I guess I do. It was uh, Romain Jabavi another player who was also on the alternate list and essentially he was checking that if I wasn't going to go, he probably was, because he would have been next in.
1: Has he become a good friend?
7: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as you said, I owe him quite a lot, so... Did your
1: daughter, Harry, get a good present after Rome? (laughs) And what was it?
6: (laughs) Oh, I mean, I think she. The most important thing to her would be that I would be around, and that actually was not the case. I left, but but I've, I've been at home a few times, and she. I mean, we together. Every time we're together, that's the the best present that we can have.
1: What would have happened if she hadn't woken you up, or Lloyd had missed the flight? Do you think? I mean. Are we talking about a sliding doors moment here?
6: Yeah, um, I think that of course would have been a different type of spring. We would have less points, probably wouldn't get into one or two tournaments because we our rankings wouldn't be as high. And, but but most of all, we wouldn't have the confidence of beating the number one team in the world. And I think that that's a really really big thing for us. We we've, we've won a lot of matches beginning of the year, a couple of finals in the 250s. But to make that breakthrough in a bigger event, that's something something special.
0: Thanks to Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Heliovara, Yannick Sinner, Matteo Berrettini, and of course to broadcaster David Avakian. Remember, you can watch the tennis live on Tennis TV. You can get all the latest scores, results, and orders of play on the ATP WTA live app. And you can find all the latest news at atptour.com. I'm Seb Lozier. Come back next week for another pod midway through the Masters in Rome. Thanks Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.